0: Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. And happy St. Patrick's Day, as this will be coming out just a little bit after that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: if you guys were able to make it to the St. Paddy's Day festivals in your respective cities, I hope you had a great time.
1: Yes. uh, Um, We are Michael and Gabe, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, And (laughs) I am Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker, and with me... The other person who does this podcast.
1: Yeah, Gabe, the wine professional who is working in wine and spirits education.
0: Yeah, and uh, so
1: today we are going to be talking about some wine pairing. If only we could have gotten this to you guys before St. Paddy's Day. Then you could have paired your green beer with some awful abomination i'm sure
0: (laughs) i mean the green beer is typically like they literally just diet green yeah um so there's really not like a a thing if you were doing irish car bombs good on you i hope you got home safe if you got some irish soda bread which is both salty and sweet then we would be able to tell you how to pair things with that which is what we're going to be doing in this episode namely wine and food pairings yeah so not not so much the beer pairings. no We can do that in a different episode, and we do have National Beer Day coming up, so we Mm -hmm. will be doing a thing for that as well.
1: Yes. Um.
0: But for today, we wanted to go over this because there are a lot of misconceptions about how this is done. There are a lot of like (laughs) popular pairings that are as we
1: learned doing our research.
0: Oh my god, so many contradictions, even from professional sources. We've done our best in order to try and narrow it down, and what we are not going to do we are not going to be giving you recommendations based on varietal specifically, but we're going to try and give you some underlying logic as to how these decisions are made between the structural components of wine and the structural components
1: of dishes. Yeah, so the main reason why both of us kind of uh, are not in favor of the varietal wine-specific recommendations Is there is so much variation within even just Chardonnay, within, you know, California, just that one state. You could find so many different expressions of that grape that are going to pair vastly different with different kinds of food. There's really no way you can say, oh, creamy mac and cheese with california chardonnay. Like you need to know the structure, like Michael yeah. said, of what is in that wine and how that's going to pair with your specific dish that you're making. That's a much more effective way to actually pair wines well rather than saying, you know, uh have a zinfandel with your barbecue because some zinfandel, well, sure, it'll go great with your barbecue. Others will absolutely not. So, our goal today is to teach you more of the building blocks of pairing so that you can then Use your own tasting notes and your own experience with wines that you like, and hopefully learn how to match dishes to your taste because it's also a very subjective practice
0: exactly and so and that's the thing once you start building your little codex of which things are more or less acidic, which is a thing we're going to be talking about, or more or less sweet, more or less high in alcohol, then you'll be able to start thinking in terms of okay, well, this producer they're going to be making this California Chardonnay and it's going to be unoaked. And so as you kind of get more familiar with the world of wine, you can start to make assumptions that are going to be varietal and producer specific. But if you have this logic lying underneath, you'll be able to make those preferences and those choices on the fly As opposed to having to go to a list of wines and be like, oh, well, this is supposed to pair with this, and then you discover that it doesn't.
1: Yeah. And also, it helps if you are, say, in a wine shop and you're looking for dinner. It helps with asking, you know, what they have in stock that will pair well to know, like, I'm looking for something that is like a neutral, acidic, white wine. That helps tremendously when interacting with people that are giving you recommendations 100
0: percent. that would have been so much easier than <laughs> than half of it well more than half i'm gonna say 80 percent of the customers that came in it would have been easier to find out what they wanted if they came in and they were like hey so i have a really fatty dish mm-hmm. and i've smothered it in barbecue i need a wine that's going to go well with that And I've heard that having something that's gonna be like a little acidic is gonna be a good thing. I could then start showing them some some of the wines that would be able to stand up to something like that. Yeah. So without further ado, like we've said, there's no perfect formula for this. So these are gonna be our thoughts and opinions. Obviously, we've tried to distill them down from sources that are reputable in our own experiences, Mm -hmm. but it's gonna come down to a lot of personal taste and hopefully some of these common practices that we're going to be exploring are going to do you some good.
1: Yeah, Michael's right. There is so much variance in wine tasting. You know, you could have the perfect wine pairing of steak and Cabernet Sauvignon is a very common pairing that people do, right? But if you just don't like steak, Cabernet Sauvignon is not going to save that, or in all likelihood, it's not going to save steak for you. That's just not really going to happen. So Start with what you like, I would say, is a very good basic building block of at least getting into the world of wine and food pairing. Also, something to keep in mind is if you like a wine from a specific region, let's say, so if you like, I mean, French wine is very well known for this. If you like food from the south of France, look at the wines that are being made in the south of France, because a lot of times in these places, The wine and the food have a very rich cultural history that are intertwined together, and these local foods are going to be a good match for the wines that are being made, and you can draw some inspiration from there. Or you could even just outright copy it and say, I'm going to cook this dish from Provence and drink a Provence rosé with it.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty common advice, but it's also some of the most solid advice, I think. Look at the wines that you really already enjoy. If you like a wine from Spain, look at some classic Spanish dishes. Exactly. If you like things from Italy, then go ahead and see what's going to pair with your Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, this is like, this is going so far back that the history ends up shaping itself. Yeah. Uh, as these two kind of things are interacting between them, and this is also how a lot of master chefs are going to end up discovering how to pair wines as well, which is one of the reasons why I sourced them as a kind of list of people to to listen to yeah um but that's a great piece of advice look at where the wines are coming from figure out what dishes they serve there yeah and if it's with that specific
1: wine Mm -hmm. also something i want to be very emphatic about is a lot of times when i've had this discussion with people A lot of people think that you need to invest in like a a quality wine, quote unquote. So what that translates to is normally a $30 minimum on your bottle, whatever. Wine from pretty much any price point, except for your very like low end bottom shelf stuff has a food. I mean, even those wines in theory have a food that they are going to pair well with. You do not have to break the bank for a good wine pairing for your food. I can think of so many like $15 wines that would pair beautifully with a really exquisite meal just because they work well structurally with that food. So don't break the bank unless you want to. If you want to invest in a nice bottle for a special celebration or something, absolutely go for it. But you don't have to.
0: Yeah. And especially if you're breaking it down into the structural components, in order to go through the learning process, you can get some wines that Mm -hmm. are... I'm not going to say cheaply made, but at the very least are a value as far yeah. as their their pricing. Especially if you're doing stuff from Spain, you're going to get some good quality stuff anyway for yeah. around like 10 to $15. Spain, New Zealand,
1: Chile, places like that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So uh, now that we've kind of gotten through some of the basic stuff, a, a place to start, Yeah. Uh, if you are just new to all of this, look at where the wines are coming from, know that you don't have to spend a lot. How are we creating our method for how to pair meals with
1: wine? So for me personally, one of the big things that I look for is, and I've already said this, we both actually said this already, is what am I looking at structurally? And when we say structure, what we mean is the kind of primary flavor profile. So salty, Mm -hmm. sweet, umami. Uh, spicy. With alcohol, you factor in alcohol for you know the alcohol burn. Me personally, I like to get a wine and think of a dish that I know will go well with it. I will say if you're just getting into wine, I would actually recommend against that because normally food is going to overpower a wine rather than a wine overpowering the food. So it's normally best when starting out to be pairing your wine to your food.
0: Yeah, it really depends on which angle that you are approaching all of this from. If you have a dish that you really like, that's probably
1: going to be a great place to start. Mm -hmm. So I, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, I'm someone who enjoys like very strong flavors. So I tend to go with wines that kind of like match intensities. But again, that's a subjective thing. Some people really prefer like a highly refreshing wine with heavier dishes. Um, And in certain instances, a dish kind of needs that from a wine, depending on the dish. But we'll get into that more here in a second. So that's my approach. Michael, do you have uh, differences or similarities?
0: So um, it really depends, again, and I have to compliment you on your explanation on that. Because, Why, thank you. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, listen, do Very <laughs> intelligent.
1: Jives,
0: um, <laughs> ready the limo jives, ready the limoncello jives. <laughs> 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 um, it really depends on what experience that you're going after, right? So, with you, you're saying that you really like things to complement it. Mm-hmm. Now, I've noticed that, like, if I have something that's very peppery and then I have a peppery wine, the perception of the pepperiness is going to eventually go away and it's going to highlight something else. So you can have something where a small note complements in a way that highlights something new in the dish. And that's what I like to think of as being kind of like a harmony complementary type thing. Whereas you can also say, oh, well, I just want this to contrast with the dish Mm -hmm. so for example you really want something that has a lot of let's say spiciness that is also very herb heavy to be contrasted so maybe you get a kind of fruitier sweeter wine Mm -hmm. it depends on what role you want it to serve do you want it to be a break do you want it to be a highlight do you want these both to be in your mouth at the same time yeah what is your purpose when you're looking at this Now, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to be focusing probably more on complementing and contrasting directly, as opposed to other things, but what it all kind of comes back to is the idea of highlighting or balancing a specific dish. So for me, I also like to think about it as pairing a wine to a dish from the perspective of I've chosen the wine, what do I make from here? Yeah. Because my experience is primarily in wine, and I'm trying to explore more food. Yeah. But that's really the only reason why I'm thinking that way.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. And this, as with everything, comes down to just how we learned about wine, right? Precisely. Now, just to kind of define some terms really quick that we've been throwing around. So a contrasting pairing, like Michael was just talking about is going to be wines that have opposing components to the food. So for example, with really fatty foods, you might want a very high acid white wine because that's going to kind of act as a counterbalance to that fattiness. With a complementary or or a congruent pairing, these are wines with similar components to the food. So sweet wines with sweet foods, Or like a really robust red wines with red meats, that kind of philosophy. Something to note is, at least in my opinion, dishes normally do better with one of these two approaches. Mm -hmm. So, for example, contrasting a acidic white wine with a steak is probably not going to go very well. Yes, it is a contrasting pairing, but that is probably going to be a very jarring contrast. In
0: general, you probably don't want to contrast strength. Exactly. Yeah. So the strength is something that is going to be consistent. Make the choice to match those things. That's kind of a
1: hard rule. Yes. So just keep that in mind. But again, even within that, experiment, see what you like, what works for you within these realms.
0: Now we should probably, now that we've kind of talked about our approaches and how we, we are trying to get our pairing choices, mm-hmm. we should probably break down the different flavor or compositional characteristics of food and how they affect the perception of wine.
1: Yeah. So the way I structured this is what the structural elements are going to be doing in food and how that's going to affect the wine. Because again, Food normally overpowers wine more than wine. Or maybe a better way to phrase it is food is going to impact wine more than wine is going to impact food in general.
0: There's just a wider variety of substances that are yeah. there and
1: they can take precedent in your perception. Exactly. So in food, we start off with sweetness. So sweetness and umami both are two of the most problematic structural components to pair with when it comes to wine. So sweetness is going to up the perception of bitterness, astringency, so that drying effect from tannins, acidity, and alcohol burn in a wine. It's going to decrease your perception of body sweetness and the fruit profile of that wine. So If you have listened to like our wine tasting episodes, which, by the way, I would highly recommend listening to that in conjunction with this episode. If you have not listened to that episode yet, that'll probably make things make more sense. But if you have listened to that episode or if you have experienced wine tasting, you'll probably pick up that is making the wine just objectively taste much worse. So if you're doing sweetness, one thing to keep in mind is you normally want your wine to be like at the very, very, very least as sweet as the food but normally you want to go at least a little bit sweeter than the food that that wine is being paired with so it's not completely overpowered by that dish Mm -hmm. then we move on to our second problematic little guy over here umami umami if you do not know i don't know why you wouldn't but is the savory component in a dish Everything that is true for sweetness is true for umami. So again, you're having more bitterness, astringency, more acidity, that sour acidity and alcohol burn, less sweetness, fruitiness, and less perception of body. Foods high in umami usually need to also be high in salt in order to actually pair well with a wine. Acidity is kind of a neutral pairing component. Acidity will increase the perception that you have of the body. It'll increase the perception of the sweetness. It'll increase the perception of the fruit profile in wine. Highly acidic foods will decrease the perceived acidity in a wine, though. So if you're kind of doing like the complementary approach, you want to have a really high acid wine, like a, let's say, Pinot Grigio, for Mm -hmm. example, if you have a high acid dish and you want to still have a wine that retains its sense of acidity. But that is more of a preference choice. Then we move on to salt. Salt is kind of a golden child. It's kind of the inverse of umami and sweetness in that it actually does a lot of good things for wine. So it increases your perception of the body of the wine. It's going to tamp down on the sense of astringency and bitterness and acidity in wine. Now, if you are focusing on acidity, maybe don't go too heavy on the acid because it will bring that perception down a little bit but that could also round off a more um, more austere, acidic wine. So salt, in general, good for almost any kind of wine. Adding a little bit to finish off a dish for a wine pairing might do you a lot of good.
0: Well, and it's also kind of amazing because there have been a lot of studies that show that salt can increase the volatility of a lot of compounds within wine that are aroma compounds. Mm-hmm. So even that just having a, a slightly saltier dish or making sure that your your dish is adequately salted can end up bringing out notes that you would not be able to detect mm-hmm. if you're just having the wine by itself.
1: Yeah. We then move on to bitterness in foods. This is mainly going to amp up the perceived bitterness of a wine. So if you're drinking a really tannic red, probably don't want to be pairing it with like arugula or something or like mustard greens that, yeah. that have bitterness because that's going to make that bitterness in the wine all the much more prevalent
0: they're gonna they're gonna hurt each other and like a lot of times if you have like a steak sandwich or something like that they're gonna throw arugula in there so mm-hmm. just you know user beware yeah because a red meat sandwich you would think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pair that with my, my nice tannic cabernet sauvignon. And then they've thrown in some horseradish. Mm-hmm. They've thrown in some arugula. And you have no idea why suddenly the sandwich tastes terrible.
1: Now, there is a point where if a red wine has enough ripe and mature tannins, particularly mature aged tannins... Very chemically different. That can actually help act as a buffer for Mm -hmm. the bitterness in the food. But again, they need to be mature and preferably aged tannins. So with that steak sandwich, you're probably not opening up your 20-year... Um, nebbiolo from, from from barolo or something you know oh, um, but you're probably not going to do that for a sandwich but that is something to keep in mind with bitterness is yes you probably don't want to be pairing a bitter wine with it so like um uh, a grippy young cabernet sauvignon out of california maybe just don't 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 do that it'll hurt you yeah it'll hurt yeah uh,
0: so- uh, whereas a higher acid or uh it's gonna be a little bit better and also
1: don't be afraid to throw a little bit of salt in your salads guys Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly as i just mentioned sometimes a little finishing pinch of salt is all you really need yeah Spice. spice moving on to spice this one is another kind of tricky one um probably not as tricky as you might think though so spice is going to up the perception of your bitterness your astringency your acidity And mainly, what it mainly does is it ups the perception of alcohol burn in a wine. What it will decrease in a wine is going to be your sense of body. It's going to hold back some of the richness of the wine. If it's like a heavier wine, sweetness and the fruit profile will be a little bit more muted. Sweet wines that are fairly low in alcohol actually normally go pretty well with spicy dishes because the decreased perception of sweetness will make the wine a little bit less sweet. So it won't be overpowering to the food. And if it's low enough in alcohol, you're not going to be amplifying that spice burn as well. Now, some people who you know like to eat Carolina Reapers for fun, maybe you want to pair a high alcohol wine with your spice because you want to up the sense of that burn. That's your prerogative, not really mine. Um, Yeah, I'm not a fan. I can handle spice, but I don't want my mouth to be completely on fire. Um, So that's just me personally. But that is something to keep in mind. This is just an interplay of how alcohol and capsaicin tend to work in conjunction with one another. And just as a little
0: tidbit to our beer drinkers, your IPAs are also going to up the perception of heat Mm -hmm. because of iso-alpha acids. That's just a little thing. If you're thinking about those spicy wings and those spicy wings are hurting you a bit, don't reach for the IPA. It's yeah. not going to help. But yeah, that's, that's another thing to think of. I like to have something that's going to be really, really fruity and aromatic mm-hmm. as well as having some good acid and sweetness. So I yeah. typically
1: reach for like a Gavert's demeanor. I was about to say there. There's a reason why your aromatic whites, which Gavert's is one, uh, Rieslings another one, Viogniers another one, mm-hmm. tend to be recommended for a lot of spicy Asian dishes, mm-hmm. is because they have good florality. They tend to be somewhere on the off dry spectrum, so some sweetness that helps kind of counterbalance the spice in yeah. particularly the East Asian dishes. One more that is. Often neglected, but I did find one study that was examining uh, actually wine consumption in South Korea. They analyzed sour as a flavor component. And sour, of course, is very similar to acidity, but it's different enough that I wanted to point it out. With sour, you kind of want to do complementary. You want to get acidic wines with this because it'll kind of match that tart, biting character. Sour with like um, a Shiraz is probably just going to make the Shiraz taste vinegary because it's mm-hmm. going to make that bitterness more apparent. It's going to make the tannins grippier. It, it It's probably not going to do great things. But for refreshing high acid wines, that's probably going to pair much better. Yeah. The problem is, is that sour takes such priority. Yeah,
0: that other flavors are always going to be more impacted by sour than sour is going to be impacted by other flavors. Exactly. Which is why you actually, like, if, you have, if you've ever had a Sour Patch Kid, you are in contact with both the citric acid as well as the sugar at relatively the same time. They mm-hmm. mix them together inside the same little crystals. But your brain prioritizes the citric acid until it has been expended.
1: Yeah. Watch your lemon content and your lemon sauces. Yes. Well, actually, speaking of Sour Patch Kids, unless you had any other flavor stuff, we wanted to make a quick note of some of the foods you really need to take some extra care with when pairing yeah. wines. Sour Patch Kids made me think of something that is not on this list. Well, it's technically not on this list. Candy in general. Mm-hmm. I am going to make a bold claim here and say most candy don't have with any wine. There really isn't any wine that tastes good with candy. Some of the big wine publications every year do a Halloween candy and wine pairing list. I I really am not trying to be rude here, but a lot of those lists are absolute garbage. And they're wrong. No, I would agree with that. um, Candy will ruin pretty much anything. It's just too sweet. And and it's only sweet. Yeah. At least here in the United States. In other countries, like I know Japan has different ways of how they go about desserts. But desserts are also different from candy. So.
0: I I would pair a matcha Kit Kat bar with a wine. I would do that.
1: It would probably need to be like an oloroso sherry or something that like that would only go with a very narrow setup like. Oh, I I would definitely do it with a with
0: mm, I was going to say a madeira. I
1: don't know if matcha would do well with madeira though. But I would
0: want some I would actually want just like the mochi with the bean paste mm-hmm. at that point. And I th- I think that's really the distinction. It's like when you have it, it's a candy nar- versus dessert, yeah. right? Versus a dessert. Yeah. Cause you really cannot just have that candy. Exactly. Thing where it's just like, this is literally just hard candy. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, completely just repeating everything you said, but when (laughs) I'm, I'm like trying to go through the codex to like prove you wrong and then coming up as completely affirming everything you just said. (laughs) Well, now that we're on the same page, now that we're on the same page, also,
1: uh, chocolate. Yeah. That's a big mis- misperception. Now, I am not including chocolate in candy, because chocolate can absolutely be candy, but it can also be a dessert. A yeah. high-quality truffle is not the same thing as a Snickers bar. So, with chocolate, everybody says, oh, just pair it with red wine, just like any red wine. Or a, a lot of people tend to say that. A uh, lot or, of
0: people and a lot of
1: publications. Or you'll even hear, if you get specific examples, like Zinfandel. Some Zinfandels, particularly like your old vine, very concentrated rich Zinfandels that are not harvested too early so that they still have some astringent tannins, could, in theory, go with chocolate. However, chocolate is a lot harder to pair with wine, particularly red wine, than people think. And this is why. Let's go back to sweetness. Most red wines are dry. Most chocolate is sweet. Sweet. Even dark chocolate falls into that bitterness trap that we were talking about. The bitterness is going to make the bitterness of tannins, or just red wine in general, a lot more prevalent if you're not careful with your pairings. If you're going to do a chocolate and wine pairing, I always recommend lighter tannin, red wines with a good fruit profile, or even more ideally, and the one I would most strongly recommend, dessert wines.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Port, Madeira, your sweeter styles of sherry. Those sweet. are going to be your best bets for chocolate.
0: Yeah. Sweet and higher acid. Cause again, let's, let's look at this structurally. What does chocolate also have if it's not, especially if it's a, if it's a milk chocolate, if it's a white chocolate, it's got a lot of fat in it. Mm-hmm. So you want something that's going to be able to chemically interact with that. So what do you need? You need high acidity and mm-hmm. you also need something that can stand up to that sugar. Exactly. I can tell you if you do this pairing, like if you get a good sherry or if you get If you can afford a Tokai, please. Uh, But also... uh, And please um, give us some. Yeah, no, send it this way. Um, Or you can get a Madeira. Something along those lines A report. It will transform your whole idea of chocolate. The interaction Mm. between the two of those is phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And again, if you are really set on a red wine, Pinot Noir... Even Beaujolais Nouveau, these ones I would say, do not pair dark chocolate, stick to your yeah. lighter milk chocolate styles. And even then, the sweetness might just might not go with them, but it's probably a safer bet. Do not do Cabernet Sauvignon with your chocolate, please. Yeah, so again, just think about chocolate as a food
0: product. Think about its actual components, mm-hmm.
1: and you will do
0: so much better than just listening to the wine and chocolate it has to be red. Like, that's just, it's such bad advice. Yeah. Get that out of your head. Yes. So so what else do we have on our odd list?
1: Barbecue. Mmm. Barbecue yeah. is one that is difficult to pair for because you have two of the wine killers that play normally with barbecue, umami and sweet. Mm-hmm. Barbecue normally has sweet sauce, unless maybe you're in your more Carolina-style barbecue where it's more vinegar-based, but even then, there's normally sweetness present in those sauces still, and even in your dry rub barbecues, the sensation of sweetness comes at play with the spice blend at some point normally. So, with barbecue, what I personally will normally recommend is Pinotage or Australian Shiraz, or some wine that kind of has a smokiness in its profile to help accent the smoke found in barbecue and those wines tend to be kind of jammy in general mm-hmm. just because of the climates that they're grown in and that near overripe character can help with matching the sweetness found in the barbecue while still having a full bodied heavy red to stand up to the meat yeah it's
0: having to account for strength on multiple levels Mm -hmm. because barbecue is such a strong flavor as far as its sweetness as far as its smokiness as far as the umami that's going to be present all of these factors as they're brought to the table need to kind of be matched in kind and if you're able to do that you can even end up having some really cool kind of side effects to the flavor of the barbecue that you didn't realize that you had before so if you're a big barbecue aficionado This might be good for you just as a way of kind of understanding more of the mix that you're using. Exactly. And on that note, we also have just smoked meats in general. Mm -hmm. Typically, this is going to be kind of weird because smoked meats have that more oaky. Uh, it can have elements of vanilla flavor, a lot of elements that might be more akin to an oaked red. Now you still don't want to have a lot of, you know, your, your heavy tannins, but you might want to have some jammier notes and some peppery notes. Mm -hmm. So I like to use kind of that more we need to contrast, but also how are we seasoning our smoked meats once they've come out? Well, we're thinking pepper, well, we're thinking barbecue. So again, having more of those like your Australian Shiraz, Mm -hmm. things that are going to complement well with those kind of smoother flavors are going to be awesome. But also if you do something that does have a little bit of oaking on it because of those fats it might be able to kind of trap those secondary aroma compounds in your mouth, increasing their perception as well. Yeah, which,
1: you know, helps accent that wine.
0: Yeah, of course, a lot of people who are doing smoked meats aren't really thinking about wine in the first place. Probably doing beer. They're probably doing beer, but just on on the off chance. Remember, you never know the full profile of your uh, smoked meats unless you are discovering them with other foods
1: as well. Yes.
0: So what's what? do we have any more on our list?
1: Yeah. So, well, we've kind of already talked about this, but just to reiterate, sweet foods of any kind. So uh, Thai food is one that I think of a lot in this regard, where, yes, Thai food is, you know, regular food, but a lot of Thai food tends to have the sweet edge to it and a lot of the sauces that they use. Just be careful. Know your sweetness levels of your wine and your food when you're pairing. Then we move on to... The what I am calling umami rich vegetables. So, your asparagus, your Brussels sprouts, kind of these heartier vegetables. Um, I'm also including mushrooms in this. These can be quite difficult because not only do they have the umami, they also have bitterness because vegetables have, or a lot of them, have some element of bitterness to them. For these kinds of dishes that are very heavy on these ingredients, it's hard to give any general recommendation because so much of it is how it was prepared is going to be the Mm. final say in the overall perception. But I'm personally am biased towards white wines that have nutty flavors in them for Mm. these dishes. Mm. So, uh, Verdicchio is kind of the one that always comes to my mind because that nuttiness can kind of, um, Match the bitterness and counteract it a little bit with a bit of that more smooth, nutty flavor while retaining enough acidity and no tannin. So nothing to really, you know, up that astringency and bitter factor with the acid, keeping things refreshing and light on the palate, or at least contrasting with maybe the heavier nature of these vegetables and mushrooms.
0: No, I think that's, that's a very good, uh, very good observation. It's very important with, especially our mushrooms, because they do have also varying strengths mm-hmm. and degrees to which they are either going to be especially savory or especially earthy. You just want to make sure that you're not going to overpower them, because this is one of those few instances where I think your dish has more opportunity to be overwhelmed than to overwhelm. Exactly. So you just got to be careful with that. I would also say, um, go just circling back slightly to desserts, if you have fruit-based desserts as opposed mm-hmm. to like your chocolatey desserts or your other more rich flavors, you might want to go with like a lighter sweet wine like Moscato d'Asti, mm-hmm. something that has a, a good deal of acid but not necessarily goes into the realms of super high alcohol. Yeah. So that's just one thing that is good to keep in mind. It's, Moscato D'Asti is a, a white wine and also has some good sweetness to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you had mixed greens that we were talking about earlier. Did you want to give your little spiel about that real quick? Yeah. Well,
0: it's, it's kind of in the
1: same vein as like pairing with roasted vegetables, right? So
0: you kind of have to know what you're going for. So technically you have like carrots. That's a, that's a root vegetable, but that actually has a high sugar content. Uh, you also can have the difference between different types of greens in the same vein where. Your iceberg lettuce isn't really going to have a perceptible flavor, Mm -hmm. whereas kale has a very bitter flavor. Arugula is going to be spicy and bitter. Basil is going to be a little bit on the sweeter side, perceptibly. You kind of have to know what's going into your mix in order to pair with all of it. Mm -hmm. But in general, you're going to think white wine, and you're going to think something that has little to no tannins in it. So it can be skin contact. That's fine. But it would have to be low skin contact. Mm -hmm. So don't pair anything above a rosé. Like you're not going to get into your red wines with the salad. Yeah. Think lighter fare. Think Pinot Grigio. Think
1: along those lines. Yeah. Simple white wines are not always bad. And this is an example of where, like Pinot Grigio, a very simple, clean white wine is a great thing to have. Particularly during the summer. And to close out this section, I just wanted to throw this out there. A common recommendation from wine professionals and sommeliers is if you're doing a meat dish of, of any kind, white, red, whatever, pair your wine to the sauce if you're using a sauce for the meat rather than the meat, because typically the sauce is going to have the more important flavor profile that informs yeah. the overall perception in that dish.
0: Which is also a reason why you may just want to get like the same type of wine to make the sauce. Yeah. That's a really good way to make sure that they're all complimentary and the people who
1: enjoy your meal, should you be hosting, they're going to think you had it all figured out from the beginning. Exactly. Well, speaking of hosting and cooking and all this stuff, to close out the episode, experiment, please. That is what this whole wine and food pairing thing is all about. Uh, Yes, everything we've talked about has a lot of tradition and history behind it but as we've already said many times what you like and what you will get out of wine pairing is very subjective and you don't know until you start doing it and yes you will probably fail a couple times i have definitely done some pairings that were not so great thankfully they are normally by myself um <laughs> but just go for it you yeah. know if if you're curious even a little bit just take what we said here and kind of use it as a springboard and just you know go right into it i would say yeah. Have fun with it. Let us know your
0: results. As always, you can message us if you have a particular wine that you're trying to find a dish for and you're trying to you know, figure out what to do or how to start. You can always message us at Laidback Lush on Instagram or Twitter. Mm-hmm. Give us a little follow if you would also like to do that, and we'll give you our recommendation for whatever that's worth.
1: Yes. And to close out, something as with any form of art a lot of people tell you is Don't try to break the rules until you know the rules very well. Yes. So, for example, you can do red wine with white fish. That is a thing that you can do. I would not recommend starting on that. (laughs) And if you do eventually
0: do it, do it with like a flounder or something.
1: Or, you know, it it depends on the, the red wine. You know, some red wines from the Loire, let's say, might go well with lighter styles of fish because of just how cool that climate is and they tend to be a little bit more acidic. But don't there's, start there. But don't start there. Please don't start there. Again, there's a theory for a reason. And I know I just said experiment. But, you know, experiment with the basics first. I mean, unless you really just want to, you know, potentially have really bad pairings in, yeah, in the, in the you process. Know. You know, that that's your prerogative. But
0: you can do that if you want.
1: In general, know the rules really well before you start breaking them. Because yeah. then you know how to break them. No,
0: exactly. And, like, your odd pairings are not going to really be odd to you unless you Mm -hmm. have a basis from which to measure that so exactly maybe maybe get a little bit associated with how this stuff works and then expand from there i think that's a good approach for learning anything really
1: yeah well i think that closes out everything we wanted to talk about for wine pairing and next time can't really think of a clever transition for this so uh we have sweet and dessert wines that we want to discuss. Yeah, another kind of misperception inside of
0: how wine is popularly seen, mm. where sweet wines and dessert wines are kind of thought of as the same thing. And they are not. They are not. No. at And, all. and if you're trying to like get a wine for your, your date night or whatever, you're going to kind of want to know the difference
1: between these two, because it's going to
0: affect a lot of the other decisions that you make later on.
1: Yeah, and also just maybe as a little bit of a spoiler, um, I am someone who typically does not like sweet wines, but I do enjoy dessert wines, some dessert wines in in the right context. But not every sweet wine is created the same. And some sweet wines you might find you enjoy a lot more than you think you would. Because sweet wines are their own category and there's a lot of diversity within that category. Yeah. So to uh whet your appetite, no pun intended for the next episode. The that pun was so of, intended. That, that that there was intention no, 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 behind no, this. No, I would never intentionally say a pun, Michael. That that's your job. Yeah, no, it is my job and you're you're getting in my lane. <sighs> I'm sorry, let me let me course correct
0: here. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> oh god you did a sound effect too yeah we really are just the the quality is just increasing (laughs) that that was that was the car crash that we just got oh i thought that was crypto
1: Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) so course correction yeah Yeah. uh getting back to that
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness but yeah so uh stay tuned if you are at all curious about the difference between a sweet wine versus a dessert wine and why that matters and what the different applications are in our next episode
0: yeah and after that
1: it is national beer day for the americans (laughs) yes i don't think we've quite landed exactly what we're doing for that episode yet but we we will we will have a solid plan here soon
0: yeah it'll be so good in fact it's already planned all of it's we're very well put together and so well planning together. for our episodes. We actually
1: had this three years ago all laid out. Oh yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah.
0: We 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 make a five year plan and nothing ever
1: changes. <laughs> not not a single thing. Not a single thing. We're so clairvoyant. We see every every turn. We that plan happens. out our sick days. Yeah. like mm-hmm. in advance yeah it's crazy yep anywho
0: thank you guys so much for joining <laughs> us uh hopefully this will be useful to you please do uh send your questions to us at laidback lush on literally every social media platform that i know of <laughs> and,
1: except <laughs> snapchat we don't except have snapchat for, we
0: don't have Snap- is that considered a social media platform oh yeah i thought it was just like a messaging service no that's social media Huh. Yeah, well, I hope nobody who's seen my resume will, uh, will hear that I didn't know that. Anyway, (laughs) thank you guys so much for joining us and we will, uh, we will be joining you in the next episode. We will. Cheers, guys. Cheers.